0: You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com Welcome back, listener, to episode 36 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. And first of two things, um, I'd like to remind you, go ahead and hit the like or subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening. That's um, like or follow on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes. That way you Get to hear the podcast as soon as it comes out every Tuesday morning. And then second thing, this episode is for the uh, July 13th, which is the week after the 4th of July. So I hope uh, you, listener, had a great 4th of July. I had a great 4th of July um, on a little vacation and also doing nothing over the weekend at my house. Um, Matt and Nathan Van Horn. What did you guys do you didn't have july? to
1: be doing nothing you had other options it's true i did <laughs> sir actually what we did over the fourth of july you were invited to but you just didn't come
0: uh, uh, all right well now you're making me feel bad so why don't you tell why don't you tell the listeners what what went down so over the
1: weekend so we met up at pickwick lake which is close to where we are in um mississippi or at least Gandalf and i and nathan uh drove up from meridian and we met another Good friend of ours, Carrie Hughes, and all of our spouses were there. It was a lot of fun, and we just hung out at the water for a few days. And got to do some fun stuff at Pickwick. Um, let's see, what do we do? We went and saw we waterfall. saw a waterfall. Yeah, that was cool. And then we got to, I got to pet a wild goat. Yeah, there's a place called goat, goat Island Island there, and apparently I don't pronounce <laughs> correctly because I call it Goat Island, but I, I dropped the T. So I've learned to use better English as per my wife's correction. Goat <laughs> Island and oh. anyway so it was a lot of fun and it was rather noah-ish there by the animals like seeing the goats there wander down to where we were in the boat and they did not get on the boat but <laughs> here we are in genesis not, nothing seven.
2: like nothing like being surrounded by all that water to make you thankful
1: thank, thankful that you have a boat to go back to <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right i do oh. want to add i do want to add nathan's one of his contributions to the trip was so this is not.
2: This is not going to be anything deeply theological or profound. No, brace, brace yourself. Check yes. your
1: expectations. And we even got it on recording. Nathan does the most beautiful and perfect cannonball I've ever seen in my life. We can a cannonball? It. Can a cannonball be described as beautiful? It, I'm uh, telling you, I got it on recording. I showed it to my daughter when we got home, and she was like, "Dad, that's beautiful." it is it's like nathan perfect, perfect i, I saw
0: it i saw the video and let me tell you that's that's some true high art that I
2: saw. <laughs> high art there it is Every, everyone's got to be known for something so like at the 20-year class reunion uh which is coming up gosh two years uh for for the 20-year high school reunion uh no doubt someone in my class will say oh i invented a new surgical technique and i'll, I'll say you know what." I do a Bible podcast and a pretty mean cannonball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we all
0: have a thing, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Well, I better watch out because it sounds like Carrie um, Hughes may become the third member of the of the we, podcast. I, in, dude, in I, we're,
2: we're working on him. We are working on him. <laughs> um, we're working on him. Uh, so speaking of making a big splash in the water,
1: taking uh, segways this time.
2: It is time to get back t- uh, to the flood. There we go. Um, wow, so,
0: Nathan, all you needed was a vacation, and now back back in the swing of things. That's I'm right. Strong way to make a
1: splash in the episode. Uh, so today, today, where are we going? We're in Genesis chapter seven, and we're going to wrap up chapter seven. I believe we're going to we'll, we'll pick around back in, earlier in seven, but we're really going to focus on seventeen through the end of the chapter.
2: Yeah. Uh do we want to read uh verses six following or or just the verses on which we're focusing?
1: Uh it probably would be helpful to just to, to do a rehash. Why don't we do six through the end of the chapter? All right. Um how about I read for today? Take it away. Uh, All right. And as way. always,
2: reader, we are reading from the ESV. And it says that Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day. Uh, All the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heaven were opened. And rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife uh, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, and they and every beast according to to its kind, and, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature." Uh, They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. Uh, And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains uh, under, the ho- under the heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, and swarming creatures that swarm on earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land and whose nostril was the breath of life died. And he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Good job, Nathan. Ooh, that's, that's a lot.
2: That was a mouthful. Um, it was. I, so one thing I want to just immediately go to is, man, we hear a lot of creation language in that judgment, right? You keep hearing things like the the breath of life being in these things. That That's very Genesis 2. Um, one of the neat things is uh, in Genesis 1, and we've made appeal to this, you know, God puts his stamp on creation by you know, when we're introduced to the chaotic cosmic waters, God separates them. In fact, it says uh, that darkness was upon the face of the deep, but the spirit of God was upon the waters. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: what does it say in this passage? In this passage, you see that with the ark, no matter how high the waters get, the ark is on top of the waters. It's, it's the presence mm-hmm. of God's sovereignty, even over the storm. Um, so, man, this is this is very, very tied to what we've read in creation, um,
1: but I Matt, add I, to, to that just go a ahead, little bit. go ahead, yeah. So, yes, we remember the chaotic waters and the spirit of God hovering over the face of the water, uh, things like that. But, but also, what's interesting? Remember, Mo- Moses is writing this during the time of the Exodus. So They've just passed through this, the waters. Yes, it's reflecting forward too. In fact, the word "dry ground" that's used here. Uh, is the same word, it's only used eight times in the Old Testament, it's the same word that is used in Exodus 14 to talk about Israel walking through on dry ground. So there, there's, there's stuff that's tying it forward and tying it backward. I think Moses is wanting us to pick up Genesis 1, but he's also wanting us to pick up Exodus as well. Let me ask a question. Is this another
0: polemic when it comes to um, chaotic waters? Because most of the time, we see chaotic waters and other religions being used as like the creation, the making. And now here's God using chaotic waters as the unmaking of the world. Is that, is that intentional or am I reading too much into that? No, I well, think there's I, something
1: there.
2: I, yeah. I, I guess where the Bible stands out um, is that in in the Bible, the waters are never personified as God himself hmm. or the gods hmm. themselves. And, and in the Bible, even the devastating power of the waters is ultimately subservient to the creator god and it can be separated it can be molded for his beauty uh later in scripture after this story in fact water takes on largely a very redemptive thing right uh new testament you hear of waters you think of what baptism uh right Matt appealed to the exodus and the exodus it's not god bringing waters together it's god separating the waters and i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves um for next uh next week's episode but uh yeah, I do think Matt, to your point, we'll we'll expound on this in future episodes. I do think that this is not only looking back at creation. I do absolutely think that it's looking forward to the Exodus. That's a that's mm. a good catch. Um, hey, can I can I zig uh, take a zig uh, or a zag, whichever it is, um, Matt? Sure. One thing that we've talked about a lot uh, in this is you know the flood often gets set forth as just you know. Uh, the big bully God who just wants to wipe everything out. He's in a bad mood. So he just says, let's scratch it all off the board. And we've really tried to put the narrative in its context, bring out some details that are uh, overlooked, like the 120 years, you know, the time for repentance. Um, You shared with me a quote that I had not heard from John Chrysostom, um, not about the 120 years, but actually about the 40 days. So like, here we are They're on the ark, the Lord shuts them in, and then, you know, uh, the faucet is turned on and water comes down not only from above, it also comes up from below, according to the text, right? Mm. Yes. Um, But uh, the water doesn't come all at once. It comes over a period of 40 days. And and there was a quote that you came across uh, by John Chrysostom, uh, that I thought was really
1: illuminating about that. I'd never heard this. And this is not to say that Chrysostom is right on this. It's just to say that, hey, listen, early Christians, as they wrestled with this, this is what they saw here in the text. So I'll just give you the straight quote. It's It's a little long, but it's good. It's
2: it's very illuminating. Yes. And this this is from his homilies on Genesis.
1: Yes. So the fact, too, that he brought on the deluge, talking about God, for 40 days and nights, is a further wonderful sign of his loving kindness. It's and stop. Kind of, <laughs> that's all that's a hard sell. I know that's it's going to like sell. say what? <laughs> say what? So Chrysostom <laughs> goes on. Hear me his, out. <laughs> yeah. His purpose in his great goodness was that at least some of them might come to their senses and escape and escape that utter ruin, having before their eyes the annihilation of their peers, and the destruction about to overwhelm them. I mean, the likelihood is that on the first day, some portion were drowned, an additional number on the second day, and likewise the third day, and so on. His reason for extending it for forty days was that he might remove from them any grounds for excuse. You see, had it been his wish and command, he could have submerged everything in one downpour. Instead, out of fidelity to his characteristic love, I he love arranged that. for a stay of so many days. Anyway, that, love that's so that's ancient Christian commentary. That that's and, fascinating to me.
2: You know, and we we've hit on this in a different way. You know, the the Spurgeon quote by perseverance, a snail boarded the ark. I, I think of I think it was Ephraim the Syrian, uh, Ephraim the Syrian, who who you know kind of took a similar angle to what we described in a past episode. Um, where he says, you know, God allows these people a hundred and twenty years for repentance, and nothing happens. Uh, uh, he, in other words, Ephraim's point is: not only did they see the ark being built, not only did they see animals they had probably never seen passing by to board the ark. Uh, Ephraim says, God is making peace between predator and prey, and still the people do nothing. Um, and Uh, Chrysostom seems to be piggybacking on that. He's like, you know, the water really could have come all at once, but it comes gradually. And even with a gradual flood, uh, that's, you know, again, this this is bad stuff, but it's coming over 40 days. Even in that,
1: he sees the grace of God.
2: Well, yeah. And when, the patience of God. in other words, you, 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 yeah, you've had you've had all this time to respond. Now the catastrophe is upon you. What do you do when the flood is unleashed? Where do you seek refuge? And and for Chrysostom, none of them seek refuge by pounding on the door of the ark, mm. right? None of none of, <laughs> none of them just take hold. Um, and uh,
1: Matt, this is something we need to discuss. So where else do you take refuge? Uh, well, mountains. That's it. <laughs> that's pretty um, much all that's left. Hey, I want to say one other thing here on Chrysostom before we leave. It reminds me of the principle, and we've looked at it in previous episodes for other reasons, but out of 2 Peter 3. But when Peter is talking about the Lord's patience of delaying judgment, and he ultimately sums it up in 2 Peter three nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, talking about the promise of judgment, as some count slowness, but it's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I think it's fair to say, if we were tasked with judging the world for wickedness, we talked about this in a previous episode, if you were to take, think about the most wicked behaviors towards, just remove personal behavior, What The most wicked things that one human could do to another, because this this kind of sin was summarized as violence, and that is by definition, sin towards other people. So you're tasked with dealing with sin towards other people, violence, oppression, injustice. You're tasked with dealing with that. What human being is going to say, all right, 120 years, and then we're going to give a one-week extension, all right, and then if Chrysostom is right— all right, we're going to let 40 days pass in the judgment so that if anybody changes their mind, we'll open the door and let them on the boat. So it, it is God's patience is just amazing to me. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, amazing. Do you,
2: you know, I, I think of like historically like revolutions, like I think of the French Revolution. The, the joke is that so many revolutions launched in the name of justice end mm-hmm. up consuming as many of their allies as their enemies like the French, you know, a lot of those who ultimately die in the French Revolution are some of its key proponents at the start, right? Right. Um, the, the, the quest mm. for justice yields injustice. Um, and yeah. again, I, I guess this story is really what makes it stick out of my mind because this is one of those handful of stories in the Bible that people used to give God a very bad reputation. <laughs> hey, you know what's uh, fun?
1: It reminds me of a story. It's is a brother who's now, he's now with the Lord, but he used to talk to me about parenting and he would say, hey, listen, when it comes to your kids, if you tell them, look, this is going to be your consequence if you do this, he said, you better do exactly what you're saying you're going to do, because if not, he said, they will walk all over you and they will, will will take advantage of it. And he said, they have to be able to trust your word like they can trust God's word in the sense of like, if you say this is going to be the consequence, you got to follow through with it. And just reading this, it's kind of like, well, I mean, I know God's word is irrevocable, But if we're going to implement God's word like God implements his, he shows a ton of patience, (laughs) like Uh Mm. so undeserved and over the top. And it's just, Nathan, you mentioned it in a previous episode, how do all these biblical characters throughout the rest of the scripture, how do they all know that God is patient and forgiving and kind? Well, it's because they've read the same stories we have. They have just seen the compassion
2: where we've read over it. That's right. Um, and, and again, I think that's neat. You know, we talk about your other option, and you have ancient interpreters going this route. You know, we, before we started recording, we talked about Josephus. You have so many ancient interpreters who say, hey, even when the flooding starts, they run for the hills, man. You know, right. not uh, in fact, on I the mountain, actually, run, boys, run. Or yeah. um, <laughs> water, water on the mountain. mountain. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, so they, they, they flee to the mountains, and they seek their refuge there. And man, that is a point... Begging to be unpacked. Yeah, so um, what's
1: interesting is we were looking this week. This is the first time in the scripture that mountain is mentioned explicitly. But where have we talked about mountains implicitly, Matt? Oh, well, Eden, of course, because Eden yeah. is the place where the rivers run down. Um, or yeah, from the which wa- the rivers run down.
2: Uh, and, and And again, so mankind sins. We get kicked out of the garden and off the mountain. Uh, as the judgment now the whole earth has become corrupt god floods the whole earth and what is mount what does mankind do rather than rather than take refuge on god's ark which floats above the waters man picks another mountain just not yeah. the one god gave him right a, a mountain um, of his own making uh, and I, I think that's uh, again I, I, I the more i read and study the bible i just don't think that we get details haphazardly. And so I do think it's interesting that, um, number one, uh, several commentators focus on look at how much chronological detail we get in this passage compared to what we've gotten so far in Scripture, mm. right? Uh, for the, This is one of those details math, uh, matters uh, passages. Uh, but one of the most interesting details that we get, uh, especially since so many go the route of Hey, they they headed for the hills. They sought refuge on the mountains. I think it's interesting that the text explicitly makes a point. Even the the mountains were submerged. You know, the the tops of them were under 15 cubits of water. You know what's Um, interesting?
1: It also has shared vocabulary again with Exodus 14. The word for covered there is also used for the water that covered the Egyptian chariots. Ding ding ding, time man, Matt, y-
2: man, you are you are picking up on so much of where I wanted to go next week. <laughs> oh, I'm um, sorry. No, 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 no. It's uh, it's it's the uh, the Bible is God's gift to the church, not to Nathan Van Horn.
0: Awesome. <laughs> well, um, so at at risk of incurring the wrath of Nathan Van Horn, maybe getting ahead of ourselves. But <laughs> I'm just saying, the next m- time
2: we're all a pool uh, we're all in a pool together. Uh, I'm gonna cannonball on <laughs> <can't, of> <laughs> you're gonna use your high arts.
0: Um, uh, you talking about mountains of your own making. I mean, that's a couple of chapters in the future, but they're going to do that exact same thing, aren't they? Uh, with the tower. Way, of
2: way to anticipate where we're going. That's exactly what's going on. with And Babel. you
0: know what? Do we even do this? This may be a tangent. Gandalf, be ready to cut this. But we even do that today. We're skyscrapers. Like, well, well, not just skyscrapers. We're living in an age where all of the richest people in the world are focused on building technology to get people off of Earth in anticipation of coming disaster right mm. and instead of turning yeah. and trying to fix the problem you, it's well, like let's go somewhere else yeah you let's get you, higher
2: you see so there are so many expressions books have actually been written on this there are so many expressions of this type of thinking in human civilization for example this is not one we've discussed at all where do you store data in your brain in the cloud in the cloud uh, okay. in other, in other words, you know, once upon a time you're in, you're in this marketing meeting and they say, Hey, we found a way to, uh, we found a way to store data at a non fixed location. It's not bound to a hard drive. It's just out there. What metaphor do you pick? Isn't it interesting that you pick that the high up thing as your metaphor,
0: you, uh, you avoid catastrophe by just putting it up higher.
2: There it is. That's it. That's it. You You captured it. Uh there's so many uh there's a guy and I'm not commending the author because he goes a lot of places I don't go uh but there's a a, a book by the, an author by the name of Kester Bruin called Getting High and it just you know captures our fascination with the, you know that transcendent thing and I really you know even aside from his book you see it so many times in the biblical narrative um and we'll, yeah. we'll, keep, we'll keep bringing it out because it's just we such will a get, recurring thing. We will
1: get to that. In fact, there's some direct quotes even from Nimrod that uh, that Josephus picks up on from ancient history that will allude to this. But we'll just save those for when we get there. But just remember when we get there that we're comparing it back to this episode, this whole idea of the mountains of your own making, the of going to places where you know the strength it's just like the whole idea of the egyptian chariots the the strength of man is completely covered and wiped out um the mountains that man was able to run to at least in the genesis narrative they've they've been completely covered and i think unfortunately for us or at least for some of us when reading the genesis account genesis you know chapter you know six seven and eight and talking about the flood for all of us, or, or excuse me, for some of us, it was just a, do you believe in a worldwide flood or a local flood? And we're really sidestepping that issue because it's not a part of the narrative here. I, I think the takeaway is Moses is wanting you to understand God wiped everything out. So don't get caught up on the extent of the water. Get caught up on the extent of this divine solution to wipe out the 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 ancient world i mean the when i read 15 cubits over the mountains it is meant to convey it's wiped out it's gone it's not to it's not to show you know the depth chart on you know to get scientific i don't think moses cared about that stuff he's just saying listen that world is gone now
0: yeah well and it's again high, it's high enough it didn't matter how tall you yeah, were. yeah we, were we get dying.
1: we get so wrapped up with how extensive the
2: flood was or was not that we miss the text emphasis which is how on, intensive the flood was right mm. um mm. and um and again why why even why even emphasize
1: the mountains why emphasize um that the water didn't come all at once. By the way, um, it's just an immediate thought. If if the Nephilim were anything like they're portrayed in the height of Goliath, 15 cubits ensures that every Nephilim would have been wiped out. That's it. Mm.
2: So uh, it's just the especially if, Especially yeah. if they were trying to swim in that Goliath armor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But, um, yeah. But what does it say that we have no record or evidence... Of anybody swimming to the ark and seeking refuge.
0: Nobody. They, they, they trusted more in the mountains. Right. That, that's it. Um, mm.
1: Yeah, that's it.
2: You, you don't... No one who wanted to get on the ark was rejected. That's the key detail people overlook in this story. It's that no one else wanted to get on the ark. Mm. Uh, either in the 120 years leading up to it, the, the week after no one family boarded, or in the 40 days that the rain... Uh, came uh, from above and the flood from below. Um, I, I think that's terribly
1: interesting. And My it, for, former pastor who's now with the Lord, he used to tell a story uh, when he would preach on Genesis chapter uh, 7 and 8. He would talk about a fictitious account of this kid who came home and he said, Dad, uh, there's this crazy preacher that he was talking about some rain coming and that we needed to get on his boat and stuff like that. He's just totally out of his mind. And his dad said, son, that man has been doing that forever. In fact, when I was a kid your age, that same crazy preacher working on that same crazy boat was out there preaching that same crazy message. And he said, you know what happened during your grandfather's life? When your granddaddy was alive, that same crazy man was doing the same thing. He's just crazy. And then the floodwater came. Mm. I just, man, is, is there something... Uh, something to be said here about the hardness of the human heart. (laughs) Yeah, that's, and that's it. Like
2: we, we go to this story and I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse. Um, We go to the story and we look at how, and we say how hard hearted God is in this. But if you read the details, Oh, that's good. It's not God who's hard hearted. It's us. Uh, Again, I I focus, uh, I, 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 we, we said it a few weeks back. Um, and, uh, you know, and when we're looking, God saw the wickedness of the, of the man and that the thoughts and intentions of his heart were only evil. And so God grieved in his heart. Man's heart is the one that is evil and hardened. God's heart in all of this is grieved. And it's right there in the text of the Bible. and We just don't look at it that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that there is, this is the reset button. This is the reset button, a reset on their environment. But we're going to have to wait a little longer for the reset on the human heart. That's not going to come until much, much later. Mm -hmm. And it it begs
2: the very practical question to me. Not just where do you go uh, when the catastrophe is is before you. Where do you go when the catastrophe is upon you, Mm -hmm. right? Do do you double down uh, or do you look for a last minute spot? On the boat,
1: yeah, it's one of those things that perhaps those that would humble themselves were probably already on the boat in the first place. Like, and I I don't think it's because of innate goodness that this happened. It's, I think it's just a working of God of of just a receptiveness of the human heart. I don't think, I don't think Mo, not Moses. I don't think Noah and his sons were, like, there was something different about their biology or their spirituality from, like, birth, that they were just better than everybody, and they just got this figured out. Um I, I think this there's just a mysterious thing of the workings of God here. But I, I think they took God at his word. They took God at his word. They believed. But it's not because they were better. It, it was just rather they humbled their heart.
0: Mm. The, the difference between Noah and everyone else is he,
1: he started building the ark when... When God told him what was going, what was going down. That's an interesting thought. Like, you know, nobody thought, Hey, I'll build one of those too. Not only like nobody even built a boat. Like, (laughs) like, Hey, like if this guy is so crazy, he's building this massive ship. Maybe I should just at least build a boat just in case. But if you so far dismissed it, you know, there you are. Yeah. When,
2: when you zoom in on the text, the most surprising thing about the flood is that it should have been completely unsurprising to them, right? Mm, that's mm. good. Um, the surprising thing about the story is even in the midst of judgment, God is providing grace.
1: For it, it is his kindness that draws us to repentance.
0: Well, amen to that. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. So I'd like to encourage you. The story doesn't end here. Noah's on the ark. The water's coming down and they're floating but it doesn't end here if you want to hear the rest of that story make sure to like and subscribe this podcast and we'll be back with a new episode next week and you guys have a great week
1: take care shalom i jumped in with a cannonball <laughs> <laughs>